Hello, this is Brad Whitford of Aerosmith and the Whitford St. Holmes Band, and this is Iron City Rocks. Hey everybody, this is Sholin Turner. You're listening to John on Iron City Rocks. Hi y'all, this is Kim Wilson of the Fabulous Thunderbirds, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks with my buddy John. Don't touch that dial. episode 460 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 460, we are joined uh, by the front man, the mastermind, the founder of the fabulous Thunderbirds, Mr. Kim Wilson, arguably one of the greatest rock, blues, harmonica players on the earth, past or present. Uh, Kim had put out an album called Take Me Back, the Big Tone Sessions. Um, it's getting the vinyl treatment uh, in the early part of May, so we wanted to get him on. I've always been a big admirer of his playing. I uh, wanted to get on and talk a little bit about uh, the music uh, that he does as a solo band, as also as the Fabulous Thunderbirds, uh, his harmonica playing, his style, his influences, etc. So it was really great to get a chance to pick his brains. So in a moment, we'll get to that. Also joining us this time around, we have Miss Patty Parks, a uh, blues musician from the great city of Buffalo, New York, uh, which has a great blues scene. So we're going to talk to her in a little bit about her new album. But first, let's play you a little bit of Kim Wilson's album, Take Me Back, and we'll get into that interview with Kim Wilson. Sense. 
pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have uh, vocalist and harmonica player from the Fabulous Thunderbirds, solo artist, Mr. Kim Wilson on the line. How are you doing, Kim? I'm doing great, thank you. Well, it is a pleasure to talk to you. Um, you released uh, Take Me Back, um, the Big Tone Sessions, um, came out a little while ago on digital and you know CD and stuff, but it's getting, a, I think, it's proper doing vinyl here in in the early in May, so I thought it was a great chance to get a chance to talk to you. Can you talk a little bit about, I guess first, what when you're putting something together like this, you know, the song selection that goes into this, and obviously there's such a deep well of great songs you could have pulled from. Well, you know, I'm sitting on hundreds of tracks. It's a compilation that goes back probably four or five years. And every time I'd go up to uh, John's place or in San Diego, some of it's... The cool thing about this is that there's some different sounds because uh, the studio morphed into a lot of different things and he moved from San Diego to Hayward. And so uh, bottom line is I'd go in there and cut 20, 30 tracks every day. And... uh, because it's just it's so easy for me to do. I know it sounds unheard of, but it's true. I was cutting a lot of tracks. And uh, so consequently, I was on you know, maybe four or 500 tracks to pick. Yeah. Uh, so the beautiful thing about that is having so many tracks is that you can really pick the best of the best. Sure. You can really set each, each track up um, against each other I try and and separate them by the you know the the four blues changes three blues changes sorry <laughs> sometimes they're four anyway um, you know like like say you know if the song's in B flat next one will be in F or if I can't do that then I'll try and keep you know I'll try and do different tempos just to keep it interesting yeah. to the listener and. Uh, that's uh, it's, you know like putting on a vinyl. I had to delete a couple tracks from. You can't put all that many tracks on the vinyl. You need help with the, the needle skipping and stuff like that. Right. But uh, so it's really where it belongs. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, it didn't come directly from tape vinyl. Yeah. from the computer to vinyl and from the, the tracks that are on uh, the wave files that went to vinyl so but originally it went directly to tape went directly to analog mono and it was live 
and uh, there's really not much you can do when you when you're recording that way after the fact. You know, you sure. can do a few EQ things to 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 bring certain things out in the track, but other than that, you know, you, you, it is what it is. And, that's what I love about it. You know, you don't have to labor over listening to half a dozen mixes. You know, it, it, you just put up what how it sounded, and if it if it if it doesn't sound, if you don't get three takes, and you bag it, and you go to the next thing anyway. Uh, does does the style of music kind of lend itself to that kind of attitude? You know, we talk to musicians of. All different genres, you know, progressive rock and, and things that will labor over takes. And it is, in your experience, it's either there and, and the magic's the sparks on on the on the recording, or it's, it's you know just move on. We're not going to get it. We have plenty of other songs that we can work through. You is move that, on. Yeah, you move on. I mean, let's say you might have a great take and. Unfortunately, one mic was placed a little too far from something, or uh, you know, something doesn't stick out like you would want it to. And uh, then what you change the mic, uh, the distance, the external drums or the bass um, to uh, you change the, the the distance of the mic to that, and. Uh, you do another take and of course you're listening back all the time as you're doing it because uh, you know you want to make sure that you, you're not wasting your time mm-hmm. so uh, but it's a small price to pay because really like you say this is the way to do it when you're talking about and, and I hate to say traditional blues but that's yeah. what this is you don't hear much of it anymore and and uh, it, it's traditional music it, you know, I own a lot, a lot, a lot of music. My favorite music is mono. Yeah. You can get better imagery out of mono. You can be, also you can uh, you can put, you can uh, saturate tape. You can't saturate digital. You know, and you, you can push the tape into the red. You push digital into the red, it just goes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's. Uh, it's a great medium to work with because it's so ear friendly and even when it goes to CD and it's going to go to CD from the computer of course but you're going to it all starts off with tape and uh, it, it just takes so many hassles out of it for one thing you not not very many people can go straight to tape anymore because uh, they just can't do it, you know. They need dummy vocals. They need, you know, they, they need to they need to retrack uh, guitar pieces. You know, it's just kind of nuts what what it's gotten to, and it's been that way for for eons. Yeah, but um, we've taken the razor blade out of it, maybe, but it's still the same. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the razor blade was an amazing thing to watch. Let me tell you. Yeah, at least it at least was, you had to work for it with a razor blade. I'm telling you, man, it was uh, that was an amazing thing to see a guy wield the razor blade. I, I was it used to scare the hell out of me watching that, but uh, it was a pretty it was a pretty incredible thing to see. I'll tell you. Do you cut these songs when you're doing vocal and the harmonica? Do you cut 
both of those together? I mean, you're do, you just pick up the mic, you pick up the harmonica, and start playing, or do you go back and do a multi-track with the harmonica separate? No, all mono, okay. direct to mono. Maybe two track, but uh, you know uh, that's the beauty of it. You know, I was talking to Joe Bahario from uh, Modern Records at uh, at the Hall of Fame things at the Blues Awards one year. He was a very interesting guy. He said, yeah, we recorded uh, eight hit records in three hours at a gym in Memphis. And <laughs> there you go. I mean, really, yeah. it's kind of a, uh, a, a, a uh, what is it, gratifying, I, I don't know what you would call it. There's a word for it that I'm not coming up with right now. But uh, it's a very uh, self-gratifying thing to be able to do that and, and and listen back and go, wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in in a world of digital, I think it, it you know, and I, I think unfortunately it's allowed such a, a sloppy discipline to certain musicians. You don't need to be able to keep time. You don't need, you know, you don't need to get the solo right on the first take or you ruin the track. You know, it's all fixable in this environment anymore. Yeah. Um, it's kind of cheating, you know. I mean, listen, if you're going for a more contemporary thing, if you're going mm-hmm. for, um, uh, although I hear a lot of people now are, are at least doing some of their tracks in analog mm-hmm. just because of the sound of it. That, that's the whole thing, the sound. Mm-hmm. Even if you're doing multi-track and you're laboring over mixes, if you're going to tape, uh, you're forgiven because it's it's such a beautiful sounding thing. I, I would just listen to all this old Ray Charles stuff, you know, from when Jerry Wexler recorded at Atlantic, and I was blown away by just how beautiful that sound is. And if you've got talent on top of that beautiful sound, uh, it's the talent of Ray Charles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's. It, you know, and, and if you listen, I mean, no one had perfect pitch. You know, you no one wanted to go back and fix a vocal because it was a little pitchy. No, he's how he delivered it. You know, yeah. And um, it, it, it's um, it's just a, a beautiful period uh, in recording history. You know, back for me, it's the late forties into the sixties. But um, you know when when they started um, stereo, that was a horrible experiment, totally gone wrong. I mean, you listen to a vocal over here, you listen to the background vocals over there, you listen to kick drum over here and a snare over there. I mean, how are you supposed to get any kind of imagery out of that when you listen to a mono recording? You can get as many different images of what's coming at you as you want. You can get the people live on the off the stage, you can get what you can you can imagine a guy over here, over there, but it's all coming at you on one track. Yeah. And uh that that that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I, I remember one of my first experiences with stereo was having a mono cassette player trying to listen to early some early Jimi Hendrix albums and not knowing where the hell the guitar was because it wasn't the speaker I had. Like, oh, this Noel Redding's pretty good. 
you know. I used to have this old Volkswagen, right? And it was uh, one t- one time the speak one of the speakers went out, and that's when I decided, oh, okay, I see how it is because certain stuff sounded great, of course, and then just yeah. stuff that, like you're talking about, uh, the Hendrix, that stuff was. Uh, they went hard right and hard left. <laughs> And those are beautiful records, though. I mean, you know, yeah, they were still experimenting back then, but yeah, but you know, when when you got you know, Jimi Hendrix, the guy who invented rock, okay, yeah, he he invented it and died with it. But uh, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a big Hendrix fan. I saw him play a couple times back in the day. Lucky uh, lucky man. I, fortunately, he was not available by the time I was. Able. Um, question for you that that it has always kind of been on my mind since literally I, I remember hearing your harmonica playing, which I think has spoke to so many people. If I walk into a Cracker Barrel and I pick up a Honer harmonica at the cash register, why does it not sound like what you do? Is there like a like a, a some sort of effects distortion, or is it a particular type of microphone that makes it sound so much cooler when you do it on like winging it? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's all vintage gear. It's all stuff that was made in the <laughs> guess when the forties, the forties, fifties, and sixties, yeah. and and uh, of course they don't make them anymore. But I've I've stocked up over the years, and uh, they're all different. That's the beautiful thing about microphones. And then you have I'm looking at my go-to amplifier right here. It lives in the house with me, and uh, it's a, an old Gibson. That that I've been playing through for maybe three or four decades, and it just sounds amazing. And it's just a little touch of this and a little touch of that that sounds totally different than than the the last time you said it. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. um, it's I've got a pretty good collection of old amplifiers, but you know you you end up with your go tos. Yeah. I'm sitting here looking at. Uh, you familiar with who Little Walter is? Yeah. I'm looking at Little Walter's amp right here. I'm looking at his amp. It was found in the basement of this guy, this Grady Fast Jackson. This, he was a sax player that used to go on the road with Little Walter. And Little Walter used these old hand electros, these mm-hmm. uh, uh, commandos, and they're like it's a suitcase amp. You open it, you open it up, and there's four apes in each side, and you can separate it. But it's even got the old cloth cover on it. It's amazing. And uh, my buddy, Big John Atkinson, who has Big Tone Studios, he went to Atlanta and went down to this guy's basement and found this thing. And you don't play saxophone through it, or even right. guitar. It's a harmonica amp. I, I think I saw a picture of Chuck Berry playing through one, or a yeah. half of one. <laughs> yeah. With an eight-inch speaker, yeah, that's pretty small for yeah. a... It's very loud for 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 an eight inch speaker, you know, for eight eight eights. You move on like quite a bit of air with eight eights, but yeah. So it's it's like it's still got everything. It's almost it's incredible condition. I gotta say, the reason you don't see very many of those out there is because they were made out of particle board and they just they just disintegrate. But yeah, there are a few. And, now, do you dare uh, so take that's the kind of stuff I use? Do you dare take you know those kind of vintage things out on the road, or do you have maybe something a little more modern that's a little more road worthy, or are you just really careful with them on the road? I rent. I right. rent. My 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 task now 
and it's sad because uh, these things are sitting at the house and uh, I don't get to use them on the road mm-hmm. but you can't fly with stuff anymore it costs way too much money than when you know and and you uh, uh, they they don't treat it right either I mean they're throwing that stuff around and yeah there's no way that if you fly to every gig like I do these days there's no way you can use them so you get the best rental gear that for you the sounding thing I usually use a one or two uh, Blues DeVilles Black Blues DeVilles and uh, we'll say for the my tea. task is to make them sound yeah with the T-Birds my, my, my task is to make them sound like old amps <laughs> yeah that's I, I've often, like I said, when, when I listen to you play it, I'm like, is, no matter what I do, the harmonica doesn't sound that cool. I mean, I, I don't really pretend to, to have the technique, the skill, the notes, the, you know, that kind of thing. But just the tone is so cool. Um, well, you, know, you like, have to, you have, you know, the tone without the mic and amp is really what counts first. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of reps. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I've been playing for over 50 years. And uh, you distill it down. You just everything gets distilled down. You learn how to tell a story. You learn how to get the best tone. And uh, you know there are certain techniques that you use. Uh, as far as I mean, if you can't get the tone, uh, then don't even think about the licks. You know what yeah. I mean? Get get the tone first. If you can get that, well then that's fantastic. <laughs> but if if you um, you know, like what I do is a variation of so many influences that Little Walter being number one, uh, then you got uh, James Cotton, George Harmonica Smith, who was a fantastic uh, chromatic player, and then... Um, you know, it, it kind of goes from there. Big Walter Horton, both the Sunny Boys, but I love Rice Miller and, uh, and Junior Parker, Slim Harpo, Lacey Lester. Um, you know, a lot of really cool guys. I, I what I would for young musicians who really want to make a stab at doing this, I would say, uh, don't dwell on one person no matter how good they are. Little Walter was the greatest, of course, but um, you have a lot of different influences, and when it comes out of you, it's just a, uh, a jumble of all these guys put together, and yeah. that becomes that becomes you. That's what, what I, I think a lot of people love about the blues is that people will unapologetically wear their influences on their sleeves, but still put it in the blender and spit it out their own, you know. That's right. Nobody That's wants, the way it's got to be. You know, as much as, you know, and you it's, may it's love It's all it. improvised, you know, yeah. you're not thinking this stuff up. It's not a thinking man's game. It's all improvisation, of course. Yeah. And uh, it has to be. Well, Kim, I want to thank you so much again. Take me back um, for those who, you know, probably want to get it the right way. Vinyl will be here, I believe it's the first week of May. Uh, I know it's available on Amazon, etc. Um, where can folks find out about you know things you might have going on post-pandemic? Obviously, hopefully, see back out on the road. Is there fabulousthunderbirds.com? Excellent. 
We're working on it right now. <laughs> we had a problem with it for a little while. Thank you very much, sir. And uh, you stay safe. Gigantic thank you to Mr. Kim Wilson. Again, uh, his album, Take Me Back, is available now on CD, and it's available, I believe, probably by the time this makes your ears, you can get it on uh, vinyl, which is probably the way to go. Uh, just one man's opinion, but thank him. Uh, it was a real pleasure to get a chance to talk to him. I've been a huge admirer of the fabulous Thunderbirds. I think everybody remembers Wrap It Up and Tough Enough. Uh, but if you get a chance to listen to, you know, if you're on Spotify, YouTube, or something, you're not really sure about the band's catalog. Uh, some great, great music. Jimmy Vaughn played on the early albums. A lot of great guitars, including Kirk Fletcher, who was a guest on the show just a few months back. So check that out. We're going to turn our attention now to Miss Patty Parks. Uh, as I mentioned, a blues musician from the great city of Buffalo, New York. She is releasing an album called Whole Nother World. Uh, and um, it's she worked with uh, Kenny Neal on these songs. And I think it was really interesting to talk about how she pushed herself as a vocalist, how she even got into singing blues, and, and, and frankly, how she got into singing in this kind of way based on her influences. I'll leave that for the interview for you to, to check out. But we're going to play a little bit of Patty Park's new album. We'll get straight into that interview.
Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome Iron City Rocks. We have all the way from Buffalo, New York on the line, Patty Parks. How are you doing, Patty? Oh, I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. You've got a, a new album uh, forthcoming, Whole Nother World, um, with uh, that you worked with uh, Kenny Neal on. A fantastic collection of, of songs, some standards, some things that, that uh, you know are, are new to the listener. Um, you... For those not familiar, you play primarily out of Buffalo, New York? I do. Um, yeah, that's, this is where I live. However, we've done a lot of stuff, of course, you know, nationally, but this is this is where I reside in western New York. Not too, uh, you know, we're actually close to Canada. So yeah, you're not. In Buffalo. And not far from us. Um, you were actually, a, a, I should congratulate you, a member of the, the Buffalo uh, Hall of Fame, Musicians Hall of Fame with some great company. Obviously, I think um, the fans of this show might think of uh, uh, Mr. Billy Sheehan and Talis and, and the Goo Goo Dolls, obviously, and, and a whole host of other great musicians on that website. If, if no one's ever checked that website out, there's some cool stuff there. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you got into to, to this style of music? If I'm not mistaken, you were trained, kind of a more classically trained cellist, was it? Yes, yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah. so how do you make the jump from the, the cello to the microphone? Well, let me tell you something. I must have been a, a frustrated vocalist my whole life because, uh, uh, first of all, you know, in my family, I came from a family that music was always present. Um, a lot of traditional music during that time. My mother was always singing. There's always music um, in my home. But, you know, my dad was a violinist, and... Um, you know, I started to seriously play the cello about the age of 16. I studied with the first chair um, in the Buffalo Philharmonic at the time, which his name was Robert Carpatian. And I went to community music school, and you know, that was a school just for training musicians. Um, and I loved the cello, and I still love the cello. Um, but as things that happen as you grow, you know, I realized it, at that time I wanted to be obviously in the Philharmonic. That was my big mm -hmm. goal at that time. But all the time that I was doing that, I just absolutely loved, you're going to laugh, Liza Minnelli. And you're thinking, oh, Nothing boy, now how did you get something to the blues? <laughs> no, I mean, so, that, if you're going to admire somebody, that's a good one. Yeah, and you know, the, the thing that I admired most about her was her performances. I mean, I remember as being a kid and my mother taking me to see her, um, I was just taken back by her stage presence and connecting yeah. with her and her vocal. There was nothing like it. So I fell in love with her, and for hours on end, I would sing to her, sing with her, um, and some of my favorite songs. So I think that, that connection really started very, very young. And um, But anyway, as time would go on, um, you know, I, I got married. I started in the band when I was younger, but... I got married, and of course, just like everybody else, sometimes things change. You're, you know, you're involved yeah. with your family life, um, and I was not in a position to continue with either one of those things, either the cello or with my vocals. Um, and, but the thing of it is, is that one thing, a word to the wise, is it's always a good, a good idea to make a connection and a relationship with somebody who understands musicians and artists because it's a kind of a hard connection there. 
Mm-hmm. But that being said, yeah. that being said, um, one of the bandmates that I had when I was 16, when I was singing, I did do a few things. I met him again after going through a divorce. And I met him at the craziest place at uh, Harley Davidson um, Centennial, if you will. And, um, and I didn't ride a motorcycle, but I just happened to be downtown. I had nothing going on. And I happened to see him again. And he said to me, you know, are you singing? And I said, oh, no, that's gone. That's gone. And he said, I, I bet you if I put a microphone in front of you, that'll be it. And Hold boy, it was he right. But here's the thing. He said, why don't you sing the blues? And at that time, I didn't really, I wasn't really as exposed. And I'll put it that mm-hmm. way. Um, but I found true value in what I heard in its beautiful art form because all of the things that I had lived through in my life, and there was a couple uh, bad, bad times in my life, I think I was able to uh, use my my voice as a way for me to kind of get through some of those things. And I was also able to translate through the music and lyrics some really important issues or feelings to then to my audience, which was totally different, you know, for me. So I fell in love with the blues. That has to be, I, I, I'll say this not to be smart, but that has to be one of the most unlikely situations that led somebody. You, you figure a professor, you know, classically trained musician who, like Liza Minnelli, at a Harley Davidson event, getting <laughs> conned and singing the blues. I mean, that's, it's like lightning hitting you three or four times in that span. Um, were there particular, were there particular, you know, vocalists? When you started to kind of, you know, because I, I think one of the, the things about blues is people people love to, to kind of research, you know, the singers or the, the guitarists or whatever it is you're into and kind of trace the lineage back to what moved them. Did mm-hmm. Where did you find yourself as far as, you know, your appreciation of, of some of the great vocalists? Because, you know, there's a million different styles of singing and. Right. Was there right. somebody who spoke to you? I'm going to tell you, I think you hit upon a really, really good point, which means that what was pleasing to my ears when I heard it, and there were so many artists, but their styles were just like, you know, when we, a lot of female artists will say, well, I love Coco Taylor. What I love best about Coco Taylor was her raspiness and her, mm-hmm. you know, those those sounds that she had made, and I would just listen, listen. But, but I also loved Etta James, right? Um, yeah. And you know, and how she could deliver, and how she phrased. And then I love Kelly Hunt, which is, you know, she's got some soulful sounds for sure. Um, so it, it, that all together, kind of, from what was pleasing to me, helped me develop who I am. And um, and believe it or not, some of the phrasing and what I heard when I was a kid. Um, and all of that kind of just evolved as to who I am, I think, uh, when I'm delivering my lyrics. Um, but I can honestly tell you, I'm still impressed with a lot of the female vocalists today that I'm listening to, from Samantha Fish to, you know, oh, yeah. um, you know, and I'm just listening to everybody. Nika Chambers, man, I I sang in the um, National Women in the Blues showcase in Memphis, Tennessee, at least three times. And I can honestly tell you, man, every time I hear another vocalist from another part of the country, I'm just like, wow. Um, but yeah, that, that being said, you know, it's just crazy. 
Yeah, I, th- I think you know one thing that's important in in what you said when you were saying about some of your other influences, even you know Liza Minnelli, for example. One of the great things is that you know musicians we tend to think of our favorite artists in a compartment. He's a blues guitarist. He's a jazz drummer. She's a you know soul singer. But nobody listens to just all day long, you know. So, right. you know, right. situation where you may, maybe there's something in your phrasing that maybe no one else picks up on that, that even subconsciously you're picking up from somebody, you know, that you listen to as a child or, you know, as, as an adult. Maybe there's things you consciously do that, um, and that's what, what makes it kind of cool is that everybody puts it in the, you know, the food processor of their brain and, and brings out their own style. And, and you know what, um, I'll be, it looks, Right, and you know what, Jen? Another thing is, it's not just female artists, right? Like I, you know, James absolutely. Brown. Absolutely, I, I absolutely love James Brown, and of course, I'm doing one of his songs on the album, right? But I absolutely yeah, that was love that, that's a, a gutsy choice. I have to admit, when I listen, I'm like, boy, I'm gonna, you know, you you see the song title on the track list, and like, well, you're gonna put a little fine tooth comb on that. That um, were you intimidated, you know, to approach that song, or was that? Singers have one of I suppose I should say yes, but I'm gonna say no and I'll tell you why. I felt very comfortable singing that song. Um was I a little bit nervous about putting it on an album? You know, a lot of times we say to ourselves, well, I love this. I think it sounds great, you know. But you know, I, I think the only concern I had was I was hoping that other people would receive it the way I intended, right? I'm not trying to be James Brown. I'm not trying to do anything right. better than he ever could. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to be me, and I'm trying to, you know, do put me into it. And that's all I really wanted, um, and not to have any deep thought to it. And it, But I will tell you this. This is one of the songs that I didn't know I was going to do when I went down to Baton Rouge to work with Kenny Neal. Um, mm-hmm. It was something that occurred when I was there and um, and it was really cool because I think the way it turned out and proud of how it turned out really. Um, but that's just an example. Like I said, when I think about artists that I love, I think of a lot of male artists that I love. I love Ronnie Baker Brooks. You know, I just, there's a lot of male vocalists that I love. I, I like Joe Bonamassa, you know, it's just not female artists. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think, you know, one of the great things with, with it is, is, you know, you can, you can draw different things from different people. Like, you know, Joe, you know, but I think a lot of people don't think of him as a singer first, but there's things about his vocal delivery that, that are very unique. Um, but yeah, I, I, re- I remember I, I was interviewing and I, I off the top of my head, can't remember who it was, but somebody I had talked to at one point had done a cover of uh, Etta James at last. And, I remember, and she had said that she was terrified to do the song, you know, because if you know you're you're going up against an iconic performance, you know, where do you go right. from there? And it's 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 one of two ways with singers: either they want to knock it out of the park because they love it, or they're scared to death of that. That's uh... so. Yeah. Um, when does the album actually hit hit the streets, or is it available now? It's actually, uh, the album itself would be available on May 28th. 
Okay, um, so we've got a couple so, more yeah, weeks to wait. Right. Yeah, there's an opportunity for pre-sale um, to save that, but uh, but yeah, it actually gets the street date on it. It's May 28. And um, obviously, are, are you able to do shows at this point? I, I'm, obviously, every state's a little bit different, and, and we're starting to yeah. see a sprinkling yeah. of some live shows. Yeah, you know, at this point, we are, actually. Um, so we're at about a 75% capacity, although that's not okay. what our, our goal is here. But I'll tell you, that's the big step from what it was. So yeah. we do, as a matter of fact, you know, I do have an upcoming show as soon as that album drops on, on May 29th. So we're really excited about that, to be able to perform the album at that point. So, yeah, and then we have a pretty full schedule. I am a little reluctant to keep on booking um, during the year because of I'm paying attention to the numbers, you know, and I, unfortunately, yeah. Western New York, the numbers have gone up a bit, um, and there could be a lot of reasons for that, but we're just watching it. But yeah, we're playing out. I don't know how, what's going on in Pittsburgh, but uh, you know, this is, really is you know, it was for a while. It looked like things might be coming back, and we're starting to see some, you know, some bigger shows. But sometimes I think it's like an oasis. We're starting to see some bigger things show up in the fall on the schedule, but right, right. sometimes you wonder if that's just a you know they want to book it and then if they need to they can push it back out. Um, but you know a lot of the the more independent artists are able to do you know the smaller venues, the outside things, you know the arts type festivals and blues festivals and things like that, which is is great. I I, I love that it, it gives you know some artists you know, that aren't in 20,000-seat arenas, almost a monopoly on live music for a little while, you know, to, right, to get right. people that, because the people that are struggling the most. Um, right. I think people are dying, this. and they're dying for live music, you know, but you have to do it with yeah. your heart, you know, and I get that for sure. Yeah, I, I really would go see anybody. Uh, except, well, there's a few exceptions of bands that I just loathe. I, I don't think, but uh, there's a few. But by and large, I think anybody playing anything would be cool to go see right now, just to feel, you know, that that you can listen to music on, you know, your Spotify or your turntable, your whatever, but it doesn't have the same feeling as when the, you know, the kick drum hits you in the chest and the, you know, the, it's, um, the, sure. the music out of a PA. And, and it'll be great, you know, for, for artists such as yourself to get out there and, and be able to, to take this music. Question, when I was listening to the album, when you play this type of music, um, what are the kind of the demographics of the artists or the audience that you're pulling in? Or do, you, do you find young people kind of getting into this kind of music? Or is it you know more of a dance crowd? You know what? I think... Uh, originally, it was to me. It seemed as though it was a group about I don't know, probably forty-five and above. Mm-hmm. But now I'm seeing that there's a an uptake in interest with the blues in itself. And I think playing a um, you know kind of an eclectic selection of music then leads to a much broader audience. And I think yeah. that's kind of what do you know what I mean? So we try not to lock in to one. A group of people and have that exposed, you know, and have other audiences be exposed to the music that maybe normally yeah. they would not have. So to, I think to answer that question, I think this is a, a prime example um, of an opportunity for this album to reach out to a much broader uh, audience for sure. Yeah, 
I, th- I think, you know, it has a tempo stuff that, you know, I think, you know, maybe a lot of people who aren't familiar with the blues and you may have been in this situation, you know, where blues and you're thinking of, you know, a poor guy sitting on his front porch with an acoustic guitar wallowing. In it. But when you listen, when you pull back the facade, you know, there's a lot of swing and, and up-tempo stuff and, and things that really make people want to get up and dance or, you know, have a good time under right. the umbrella of the blues. Mm-hmm. And that's so right. That's, and I think that's, that's the other piece of it for those that have not listened to the blues um, very much is to understand that there, there are all different types of blues, right? There's rock blues, there's yeah. gospel blues, there's, you know, even R&B is, you know, the kind of crossover, right? But what the other thing yeah. on this album was one thing that I never had an opportunity to do was to do an acoustic uh, song. And of course, who, who not better to do it with is Kenny Neal. So he and I are singing a duet yeah. on the album. And that was another song that I didn't know I was going to do until I went down there. And, um, and that's another thing. And I, I'll tell you, I really challenged myself because I hadn't done it. But I said, wow, this is something I might want to do again. Um, but I thought... Yeah, I mean, there's nowhere to hide as a singer with an acoustic, yeah. Right, exactly. That's, yeah, but I like the that, feel of that. Fantastic. And it kind of set us back, yeah. It kind of set me back in time for a little bit. I really appreciated the sound. Something I've never done before. That's why I call it a whole nother world. The whole That album was a whole nother world for me. Um, meaning that... With all my experiences and everything that I had done in terms of, you know, performing and, and doing some things with the blues, to be exposed, to be in that area, um, to be with all the musicians there and the, the level of musicianship and the rich culture that was existed there, that was in existence there. It was just like, I, I always say even on my album, it's like a, a musical spiritual awakening. And I, I kid you not. So when I was getting into those deep dives and, and those feelings, it was all natural. Um, and so I felt as though I was like almost put in time every time we were doing a different song, you know, really getting into it. And I, you know, I, and like I said, Baby B, the acoustic was really something that I, I didn't think I, I would sound that good on. And I was, I, I really appreciated Kenny um, exposing me to Push. something like that. I think that's such a testament to the production, you know, when when you take those chances, you know, whether, you know, when you're going through and thinking of what material you're going to do, whether producers say, you know, trying to challenge an artist, you almost keep you from being comfortable. And sometimes you get such great performances out of that, you know, kind of pushing that edge of where an artist, you know, could, could take the easy route and just do, 11 songs that are in your wheelhouse or grow as an artist into things that maybe you didn't know you were capable of. That's right. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's a testament. Yep. That's exactly what happened. It was kind of crazy. And and the other piece is, is that when I, I I did not, uh, I knew the majority of the songs that I was going to do, but, to be honest with you, I when I went down there is when they actually did the track. So I was able to listen to the musicians live. It wasn't like here I'm in Western New York. Here's your, you yeah. know, here's what we recorded. Just recorded here and we're all set. Or just go down there yeah. and do the vocals. Absolutely not. And so I got to hear that live. It makes such a big difference, I think. Yeah, there's something said for that. You know, I mean, the internet is allowed 
you know, we could send wave files back and forth and you could do all kinds of things that, you know, collaborations that may not otherwise be possible, but it certainly does something about still being in the same room, you know, with the musicians and feeling it um, certainly, certainly valuable. Patty, I want to thank you so much again. The album's out in May. Uh, Patty with an I, parks.com, or Patty Parks Band, .com, I apologize. Um, people can check that out. Um, we have uh, CDs, DVDs, or I'm sorry, vinyl, or, or is this, this going to be a digital only? This album and digital, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we sell the live copies when we're out performing, or you can buy it online, but they should be up very quickly, like I said, May 29th, and, or 28th, okay. I should say. And, John, I thank you so much for including me in your program, and I look forward to meeting some friends in Pittsburgh again. Yeah, we'll love to have you come down, or, you know, I think, of, you know, a lot of people, once we once we get through this insanity that has been the last 18 months, um, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people spend a lot of time in Buffalo or, go, you know, go through there, going up to Niagara Falls and things, and Great. stop through Great. and catch a show, and or if you're down this way, let us know, and we'll get the word out. That'd be uh, great to see this stuff live. Sounds like it would be a, a fun show to see. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Hope to right. see you guys soon. Okay, take care. All right, again, thank you to Miss Patty Parks. Uh, that album, Whole Another World, will be available at the end of May. Uh, you can check out her website. It's pattyparksband.com, and that's P-A-T-T-I, and Parks is P-A-R-K-S. Uh, we'll have a link on our website, certainly, for that. That'll be available. You can check out when she's playing gigs. Um, if you have happen to be in the Buffalo area, you want to check that out, or hopefully we'll get her down here this way sooner than later, uh, please do that. Also, Kim Wilson, new album available now. Take me back. Uh, Kim, a real pleasure to talk to him. Um, he mentioned the uh, fabulousthunderbirds.com is, is getting an overhaul, and that certainly was true, I think, from the time we talked to the next day. Uh, there were some big changes on that website merch stuff available which hadn't been in a long time if you get a chance um to check out the fabulous thunderbirds live uh, go back on youtube and dig out there's a uh it was a dvd um called i think for invitation or by invitation something like that uh it was and i think around 2000 with kid ramos on guitar it was a really cool show you get a chance to see what they're about more than just the couple hits you might have remembered from the radio there's a there's a lot to that band a lot of um swing and and blues and, and a lot of high energy blues stuff and, and he's worked with some great guitarists over the years so check that out and um, you can't understate his ability to play the harmonica so check that out as well invite you to check out our website ironcityrocks.com we are on all the social medias you can think of just look for iron city rocks drop us an email ironcityrocks at gmail.com love to hear from you let us know, you know, do you like the heavy stuff? Do you like the blue stuff? Do you like the mixture? We'd love to hear your feedback, so please do so. And until next time, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>